Um, If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 1. For those of you who were here last week, we started a study in Galatians and, and we looked at three words last week in regards Paul's exhortation, Paul's encouragement, Paul's challenge for these churches in the province of Galatia. Now, does anybody remember what any of those words were? What was one of those words? Somebody tell me. Somebody tell me. Nobody's telling me. All right, then. Here we go. The first one we looked at was that of newness, about the newness that we have received in Christ that he gives us. We looked at the authority by which Christ has granted us as well in that newness, and thus receiving from that authority complete deliverance, not only from our sin and sin's penalty and sin's power, but also from this present age. Newness, authority, and deliverance in Jesus' name is what we looked at last week. Thus, as new creations in Christ, as we briefed over last week, we have a peace that the world cannot give that we are partakers of an inheritance with the saints in light, and that we have our eternal security, sorry, our eternal destiny secured in the hands of God. But even in such newness, even with the authority granted and the deliverance that's experienced, does not mean that we are exempt from hardships, trials, or difficulties. If anything, because we are new creations in Christ, we are going to encounter a lot more of such things because the Lord Jesus himself said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. That's because we live as citizens of heaven. It's because we are bound by the Lord's will. It's because we are obedient to the Lord's word and faithful to the Lord's ways. And because we are part of the Lord's kingdom, we will experience trouble. We will experience conflict. We are told about the spiritual warfare that we encounter day in and day out. But we hear this from John 16, 33, but take heart, the Lord Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So for you and I, for these Galatian churches, what are then the dangers that prevent us from living free? What then are the hindrances for us experiencing the freedom, the deliverance, the newness that we have been given in Christ? And so today we're going to look at what I call three dangers that prayerfully will help us in being aware of the dangers that we'll experience to living free, to living in abundance. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. If you've got your Bibles, start at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another, sorry, a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so say I now again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Bow your heads and let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the anointed words you have given your servant Paul. And I pray this morning as we look into your scriptures that by your spirit you will open our eyes to behold wondrous things within your law. I pray that we will be sensitive to what your voice says to us and that we will be responsive to the leadings and to the convictions your Spirit lays upon our heart. May you guide us this morning as we look at the Scriptures today. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So I listened to this podcast that was recommended by my little brother, Frank. My little brother, he's a bit of a tech whiz. He's into all that sort of digital cyber world, internet stuff and VR and all that sort of thing. So he's given me this, he's given me this podcast, which I listen to on a regular basis, and it's about hackers, computer hackers. And they've got all these really weird, weird terms which I've been learning about, things like phishing, phishing emails. Or, or, or vishing, so vocal, where they, try to, where they try to sort of snag people and scam them out of things. Uh, or you learn about what's called social engineering, which is a really fancy way of saying con men. Because back in my day, all of that sort of stuff, all these scammers, yeah, that's what they were called. They were just called con men. And they were interviewing one of these social engineers. And they asked, how is it that you are able to enable people or scam people out of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this con man said something, or sorry, this social engineer said something really interesting. He said, there's always a little bit of naughtiness in each of us. There's always this little bit of corruption in all of us. And what I do is I appeal to that. If it means that someone gets something for nothing, or someone takes something else or gets something at the, at the cost of something else, then I appeal to that nature which causes them to fall for the scam, to fall for the con. The reason why I give that as an illustration is because the dangers we are looking at today are things that the enemy uses by appealing to our sinful nature, by appealing to our lusts. I mean, you read in the, in the scriptures how it says that when a man is tempted, they're not tempted by God, but every man is tempted when they are drawn away by their own lusts and enticed. And so when we look at these today, we're going to look at these dangers and how they appeal to our natures, to our carnal nature, to our longings for the things of what used to be and why that gets us into trouble. Because these dangers appeal to our self-righteousness or to our piousness, to our, to our sinful, almost in the negative sense, religious nature. So here's our first danger. I call it our need to do something. Our need to do something. How is it that someone could show up at these churches, have the right pedigree regarding their religious spirituality, share a message that drew people's attention away from this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ? How is it that someone could come and start appealing to these people and say, look, I've got this thing and I'm going to draw you away from the truth? that is found in in Jesus Christ. In verse 6, we read how Paul says that he is astonished. In the old King James, it says, I marvel, I marvel. So you read these two verses with me, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grave. Hang on, I want to stop there for a second. He says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one he doesn't say I'm, that you're deserting a religion. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that so quickly deserting a church or deserting a, a, a belief system or deserting an idea. He says, I'm astonished that you're deserting a person, that you're deserting a relationship, that you're drawn away from the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, turning to a different teaching, turning to a different idea, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. This new gospel was a message that added certain requirements to the grace of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Jewish believers had promoted this idea that one's salvation from sin was dependent on a person performing certain ritualistic activities. In this case, it was being circumcised. This, in turn, started a whole slew of arguments and reasoning from Paul for Paul to refocus them on living free, to refocus them on living in the simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ. If you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul actually writes that. He talks about how we as people, that we might not be 
drawn away from the simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ. But how could such an addition, how could such a perversion creep into a church? Why? Because it's our need to do something. We find our need, in this case, a religious mindset. There's this religious mindset. We live in a performance-based society. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. From since we could remember, it is the continual barrage of indicators, of markers that give us an insight to, to how well we are doing, to how well we're doing in life, to how well we're doing in our careers, to how well we're, we're progressing. We get gold stars when we're in kindy. We get our grades while we're in school. We get raises and promotions in our jobs. We get rewards from our family. It, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. We put in the hard work and we receive the appropriate reward for that. But this is where our relationship with Jesus is completely different. Because it's not a merit-based system. Because we have no merit to offer. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, there is nothing that I can do that makes me acceptable to God. I am told within the scriptures that within me, that is within my flesh, dwells no good thing. The scriptures teach that the best, and I want you to think about this, that the best I have to offer is filth. Filthy rags. Filth. That's such a cool word. Filthy. That's the best I have to offer. We often think, we often think that, yeah, well, look, yeah, I'm a good guy. I've got my effort. I do the hard yards. Yeah, it's good. In human terms, in comparison to God, it's filth. That's the best. That's Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. And the reason why the best I have to offer is filth is because it's tainted by sin. I am a sinner by nature. And because I'm a sinner by nature, I'm the recipient of God's wrath, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Because there are none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10, for all, not some, not most, for all. That means you, that means me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet I somehow think I can earn God's acceptance by doing my best, or by doing more, or by being active. No, 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 nothing. If all I have to offer is filth, it doesn't matter what I try to give. I, I, was, I was doing some cleaning around the house, and, and I got my hands really dirty, and my wife asked me, can you grab that for me, please? And I went, sure, I need to wash my hands first. But I had to get it quickly for her. And she goes, oh, okay, just grab it. So I grabbed it, and because my hands were filthy, everything I touched became filthy too. And it was, you know, when I finally gave it to her, she's like, why is it so dirty? Because I'm filthy. That's why. So it is before God. Nothing we can do. Because we are tainted by sin and sin's filth, everything we touch. The love that I seek to express is tainted by the filth of sin. The patience that I try to express is tainted by the filth of sin. That's the reason. And so that's why it's not on our merit. And once we come to know who Jesus Christ is as Lord and Savior, when we recognize the sacrifice he made on the cross and how he, by his grace, saved us and made us a new creation in him, we still have the same performance mindset. We still think. Now, look, I'm going to get into the whole. Don't look. I'm going to get into the whole idea, the whole thing that we're going to discuss later regarding the things that are required from us. But in regards to our relationship with Jesus, we're told in Colossians chapter two, verse six, as you have received Christ Jesus by faith, by faith, you received Christ by faith, by grace through faith. So walk ye in Him. So continue living by grace through faith. Not by activity, by grace through faith. And so as his children, we think we can earn more of God's acceptance by doing various things, by keeping various ritualistic ideas, because there's just our need to do something, to have some sort of input. We become like Cain. Cain, in the book of Genesis, when he offered his fruit and vegetables, and then Abel, who offered the sheep from his flock, the reason why Cain's sacrifice was rejected was because he was giving his own efforts as a sacrifice. 
It wasn't what God required. Because I'm told within the scriptures that the forgiveness of sin is achieved by how? By the shedding of blood. By the giving of a life. What Cain did was look at his life and says, I've worked hard, I'm going to give God my hard work, my effort, my terms as sacrifice. And it was rejected. That was the idea of wanting to do something to gain God's acknowledgement. Abel offered a lamb, not because he was a shepherd, but because God required a blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin. Once again, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why. So we are more like Cain as opposed to Abel. We like to offer our efforts as opposed to trusting by faith what God requires. But the reason why we we often, Pastor John does it, Pastor Ben does it, Jono does it, we all share this from the pulpit over and over again, the importance of the Word of God. Why? Because the second thing, the reason why people can creep in with false teaching is because, two, our lack of knowledge our lack of knowledge. We don't truly know the gospel. We don't truly know the ways of God. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says this, that my people are destroyed from a lack of going to church? No. My people are destroyed from a a, a lack of religious activity? No. A, A lack of preaching? A lack of Bible study? A lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. And it's not just a lack of knowledge, but also a lack of understanding that knowledge. I remember the testimony of a brother in our church back home, how he became a believer. And he was from a very religious background, and and my friend shared the gospel with him. And when he shared the gospel with him, he said how one is made right with God. It's by by grace through faith. It is the gift of God to be received, according to John 1.12, where you're given the right to become the sons of God. It's not of works so that no one could boast. And he shared this with him. And this, this religious man said, is that it? It, it, can't, it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. And he wrestled with this, and God, by his grace, opened his eyes to see, to trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And he's been to Burma, he's been all over the world as a missionary, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Because once God opened his eyes, God grabbed and captivated his heart, and he was was all in. He was all in. He understood that if one confesses with their mouth the Lord Jesus, and and believes in the heart that God raised him from the dead, one shall be saved. Romans 10, 9, that whosoever believes in the Son shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The idea of grace through faith, of trust, flies in the face of our naturally self-reliant, our naturally independent, our naturally autonomous heart. We like to be doers, and there's nothing wrong with trying to do, but it must be viewed in the context of of your salvation, of your relationship. There's nothing you can do to make yourself acceptable to God except through Christ. And we'll talk a little bit about what we do afterwards. But see, this is why when the opportunity arises to gauge my spirituality, we get into trouble. We gauge how successful we are as a Christian by saying, I go to prayer meeting every month. I am spiritual. I go to my cell groups every week or second week or month or year. I don't know. That makes me spiritual. I shared the gospel with the person down the road, not for the sake of sharing the gospel, but so I could tell you a story afterwards. You see the difference? How the motivation is different? We get into trouble when we try to gauge it by what we do as opposed to the intimacy we share with our Lord Jesus. The economy of God works differently to our human economy. Success, success in the economy of God is, is, is registered differently to the way we do. Where we look at activity and busyness, what we do, God looks at intimacy, looks at dependence, looks at faithfulness. We have to stop using the ways of the world to register 
what God considers pleasing and what God considers displeasing and go by what he says. To do away with this mindset of trying to do something because when I talked about before how we all have a little bit of corruption in us, we all have a little bit of naughtiness in us, we all have a tinge of Pharisee about us. We all have that little tinge of Pharisee that likes to creep in and says, I'm better than you because I preach the word. Or I'm better than you because I'm a pastor. No, no. That's, that's that little tinge of Pharisee that can creep in. That's a danger that we need to be aware of. The second danger, our need to look at others. At, high school, at the high school I teach scripture at, I often play sport with the kids. And so when they have sports days on Wednesday afternoons, I often get confused when the other school shows up, when teachers show up, they automatically come to me and say, well, you must be a PE teacher. Is this what we're doing? I says, bro, I'm, I'm not the PE teacher, sorry. I'm, you know, I'm the, the scripture teacher, I'm the chaplain. Oh, okay. And then I direct them to the person. I have no authority to be running the games or do anything like that. I'm just a person in the way. Okay, that's pretty much me. But because I look the part, people automatically are drawn through that. But I've been confused for a PE teacher, I've been confused for school security, and I've been confused for a cleaner. That's all right, I'm okay with all of those. Okay? Just because somebody looks the part doesn't mean they should actually be there. Now, there should be attention paid to what is being taught, especially from the pulpit. There must be attention being paid to what is being taught in your Bible study groups, in in your cell groups, in your fellowship times. There must be attention being paid to what is taught, not how it's being taught, not how charismatic the person is, not how gifted the person looks, not how passionate somebody might communicate a particular thing. You can make anything sound good if if you sound convincing. I saw a video where a man, he, he gave some false facts about cigarette smoking. And people are like, wow. And he goes, I made all those facts up. He told me about how smoking's good for you. And, he, and, he, and he's quoted a random bunch of numbers of facts that he made up. But because he said it in a certain way, people are like, wow. And they believed it. We got to stop looking at what's be, or who's saying stuff, but at what is being said. Because Paul emphasizes this in verses 8 and 9, not once, but twice. He says this, but if we, now this is a huge statement, that if one of Paul's cohort, if, if one of the 12 disciples, if, if Paul himself came back and tried to proclaim a message contrary to what was already preached. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again according to the Scriptures, that he revealed himself to, to the 12, and then to over 500, and then to Paul himself. That if anyone comes and preaches a gospel different to that, it says... Reject it. Get rid of it. Don't listen to this. That's what he says. He says, reject that message. And he carry on reading. It says, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you. So in a step further, if it's not just a man, if a divine messenger, a heavenly being that's widely known as the messengers of God's word in the Old Testament, if they were to show up, and try to convince him to believe in something other than grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, then, you read in the rest of verse 8 and then verse 9, let them be under God's curse. And the old King James says, let them be accursed. That's such a cool word. Accursed. Let them be accursed. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Let them be accursed. That word accursed or God's curse is the Greek word anathema. It's the word anathema and it refers to being banned. It refers to being excommunicated. In layman's term or in Joe's terms, it means being booted out. If anybody proclaims a message, and this is what I find really, really full on here, booted out by God, under God's curse, under God's anathema, under God's boot, being booted out. And that is not something to be taken lightly. It is a a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
fall into the hands of the angry God. Jonathan Edwards, a great sermon he does from Amos chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And this is the text that he uses. I want to read it to you. This is why he says, this, he's speaking about God here. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. Meaning God's hand. Though they climb up to the heavens above, from there God will bring them down. Verse 3, though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there God will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from God's eyes at the bottom of the sea, there God will command the serpent to bite them. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If I came here and started preaching a gospel contrary to what the scriptures teach, you know what you should do with me? Boot me up. Boot me up. If I'm preaching heresy, I mean, not now, prayerfully, don't boot me out now. But, you know, that's what he's saying. He's saying if someone preaches something other than faith alone and Christ alone, by him alone, anything other than that, boot me out. To go into a situation whereby you seek to add to something already perfect, the already perfect gift. Jono is the already perfect gift for his wife, Caress, and vice versa. And you can't add to that, according to Caress. <laughs> but that's, that's, you, can't, you can't add to something that's already there. It's a condition that God has established. Not you, but God. And this is where, this is the, the, the danger, where we seek to add to something because we see the necessity of it as being essential for one's spiritual acceptance or for one's spiritual nature before God. But to preach a message of Jesus plus something, that's heresy. Jesus plus something because Jesus wasn't enough at Calvary, that's sacrilege. That is blasphemy, it's her heretical. Jesus plus, and it can look and come in different forms. Jesus plus going to church. Now, I'm not saying don't go to church. What I'm saying is the church is the people, not the building. And it's important because we're told within the scriptures not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Well, Jesus plus keep keeping religious acts. Jesus plus keeping the standards. Jesus plus, you know, plus this or, or plus that. The changes, this changes the gospel of grace to a gospel of works. But like I've said before, grace demands of you to live holy. Grace demands of you to live in dependence and in righteousness and faithfulness to the Lord. It's not to mean that you can live however you want. And we read in, in Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19, if anyone adds to the words of this book, or takes away from the words of this book, they will either have plagues added to their lives or their names removed from the book of life. So just because a person looks the part, appears to be the part, or even happens to be a person that we admire or respect, don't let such things be the determining factor to receive from them spiritual realities. Pastor John has shared this, and Pastor Ben has shared this, and a number of other preachers have shared this. It is important that whatever is preached from this pulpit, or from any pulpit for that matter, that you take and you measure up against the Scriptures. That you search through the Scriptures to make sure what is being taught is in accordance with God's Word, with God's will, and with God's desire. Why? Because the Word of God stands alone. The Word of God stands sure. And we are promised an unction by the Holy Spirit that will guide us into all truth, revealing to us who Jesus Christ is, what He is doing, and how He is doing it. Look at John 16, 13. And those, that's the second danger. Our need to look for somebody or at somebody. I always remember uh, uh, Kevin Pitchford, who was one of my lecturers at Bible college, he said this. He said, biographies are great. Looking at the men of God and, and, and men, men and women of God in history, he says, they're great. He said, they're not inspired, but they are inspirational. They're not God's inspired word, but they can be inspirational. But we want to look beyond the person and to the God of that person, where we sing in Sunday school, dare to be a Daniel. It's not about daring to be a Daniel. It's daring to trust in God like Daniel did. It's not about how Joshua went in and took the promised land. It's about how God used Joshua to claim the promised land. 
It's about looking beyond the man and seeing the God can, how God can take a normal man and do amazing things for his, for his kingdom. So those are the first two dangers. The third danger, our need to please people. Our need to please people. Now, as a kid, we lived in a cul-de-sac growing up. And as a kid, we used to play some really dumb games because it's just what we did. We didn't have any of your like, like gaming consoles or little, you know, even phones. We didn't have any of that stuff. We created our own games. And it was this really dumb game we liked to play. During summer, in the height of the bindi season, they have these, like the council patches out the front of houses. And they have all these, you know, next to the footpaths or the walkways, sidewalks. And so they had this long stretch of grass that would be maybe about anywhere from four to eight metres long and about a metre wide. And they're just packed with bindis. And so us and all the kids, we would all get round and we would take off our shoes and socks and then we would take turns. We would run as fast as we could down these bindi-ridden patches of grass. And then we'd count how many bindis stuck to our foot stuck to our feet afterwards. Whoever had the least amount of bindis won. Stupid, eh? It was just, it's just, yeah, anyway, anyway, anyway. But there are dangers, there are dangers that are sort of out of our, uh, out of our sphere of control. Okay, for example, false teaching can creep in. Yes. False teachers can creep in. Yes. But this third danger, that's solely on you. That's solely on me. See, we can prepare for a false teacher. We can prepare for a false teaching. But this third danger is about me playing my childhood game. It's about putting ourselves in stupid situations, making stupid choices, and then bragging about it at the end when we look at the consequences and think, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Now, in verse 10, we read this. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. How much do we do for the recognition of people? How much effort do we put in to be recognized or acknowledged by a man or a woman? What is it that we do? As I preach the word, is it so I can get acknowledged from you as being a good preacher? Or is it so that the truth of God can go and God can use his word to transform a person's life? As I shared before, when I share the gospel with someone, is it done so so I can come back and say, hey man, I, I, I can tick this box because I shared the gospel with a person down the road? Or am I sharing the gospel with this person because they need Jesus because they're going to hell without him? Do I do things within my life because it makes me look a certain way or presents me in a certain light as opposed to it can bless somebody else and it glorifies God in that. See, this, this verse struck me quite hard because I like being light. I do. I'm being honest here. I like being light. I like care. And it's for all the bravado where I sit there and say, well, yeah, I don't care what you think. Yeah, I do. I think I do. Because if somebody says something, what do I do? I'll, I'll go and ask somebody else. For example, a brother, I remember this, a brother said to me once, you're quite arrogant, Joe. And I says, bro, bro, okay, all right then. And I'm like, I sort of brushed it off. And then the first thing I did afterwards, I got home to my wife, hey, baby, am I arrogant? And then she opened up about me and, and no, 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 in a good way, in a good way. But she said to me, no, no, you're not arrogant, hun. But I can understand why people would see you that way. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And I appreciate that. But you see what I did? Now, please, please don't get me wrong. I took that, that criticism, not criticism, but that critique of me, and I had to pray about that and seek what God had to say. And, and I learned. God taught me through that. But I, I, like, I like being liked. Okay? But when being liked takes precedence over standing for the Lord, when being liked takes precedence over speaking to a workmate about Jesus because you want to continue being their friend. When, 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 when being liked takes precedence over keeping silent, and uh, sorry, proclaiming and choosing to be silent instead of shining as a light for Jesus Christ. That's when being liked becomes a danger. That's when being liked 
can end up taking your eyes off God and onto yourself. Like what Paul says here, I would not be the servant of Christ. In the parable of the bags of gold in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 13, there was the call to be a faithful steward. And it's encouraged. The goal was not necessarily to earn more or even to get recognition from the other workers, but to receive the well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord, as he says in verses 21 and 23. That that's what he's looking for, the acknowledgement of his master. It's like what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that a soldier, a good soldier, doesn't get entangled in the civilian affairs of this life, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Much like I would for my parents that I love. I'm their child, and I don't need to earn their approval or earn their acceptance. I already have it, but I want to live in a manner that gives my parents joy that gives my parents honor. I remember when my dad, because my dad was, he played rugby league, first division rugby league in New Zealand, which in New Zealand is not a big deal. First division here, NRL, that's huge. In New Zealand, it's not as big. But my dad played first division rugby league till he was 44, 45. So he was a very good player. And so when I was playing rugby and he came to watch me, I wanted to perform in a good way to put a smile on his face. It wasn't, to, it wasn't to, for him to walk around, you know, to sit there and say, you know, oh, yeah, now you can be my son because you can play rugby. No, that, that wasn't it. It was I wanted my desire, because of my love for him, I desired to honour him and bring joy to his face by what I did. So too is as a child of God. In Christ, we have been set free from sin and death. We have been made new. We are his sons and daughters as children of the living God. And as a child of God, as a member of his family, I am loved, I am accepted in Christ, I have his approval that comes with that. But I still desire to live in a way that gives glory to God. Not to gain anything, but because he's worthy of all glory. I want to live in a way that pleases him. I want to live in a way that gives him joy so that when I come before him at the end of this earthly life, that I might hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, my son. See, I am not to be bound by the views and approval of man because if I was bound by such things, I would be a servant of me and not a servant of Christ. That in the economy of God, when I prioritize him in my life, when I submit to him in obedience, as his, as his spirit moves in me, the product of, of a byproduct of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the byproduct of that is growth, yes. And you grow in favor with God and man. When you prioritize with God, the other aspects, and I reckon you've experienced this in life, that when you conduct yourself in a way, in my, at your job or at your school, whatever it is, that you conduct yourself in a way that glorifies God and honoring Him, meaning then you'll then in turn honor people and respect people, people notice. You don't do it deliberately, it's because I'm going to honor God, and in turn, people get honored as well. Case in point, I didn't ask my daughter this, but... She's now working five days a week. Praise God, she provided a full-time job for her, and she had to leave her other position. And they did two days of farewells for her. Two days. You know, she just thought, it'll be like, thanks a lot, see you later. But she had on a Thursday, they did a farewell, and almost everybody did a speech about my daughter. Oh, she's so lovely, she's so this, she's so that. All these tears, all this crying, all this food. Then on Friday, they did it again. They did it again. And, you know, and then when she would come home, my wife and I would just say, ah, do you cry again? Yeah, there was more crying. There was more crying. Now, there was another worker there that's a Christian, and that Christian shared with her, this is the testimony you have because none of these people have experienced really the love of God that you have manifest. 
They have seen the reality of God in the way you conduct yourself in your job, in the way that you treat people, in the way that you handle patients, in the way that you show up to work always a little bit early, get things sorted out, the way there's always a smile on your face. See what happens? As she seeks to honor God, people in turn are honored, and people notice. That's why, that's why we can, we can take comfort in that, that as we seek God, he in turn works through us. Which means with these dangers being so evident and so easy, whether it be like our need for, 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 for others to like us, whether it be our, our need for doing something, whether it be our, our need to look at somebody else, how do we avoid such dangers? How do we avoid those traps that we can fall into? And the answer is actually really simple. Our solution is our need for Jesus. As Sunday school as that that sounds, that's our solution. Our need for Jesus. And there are three things I want to top very quickly, okay? One, know and understand the Lord's word. Know and understand the Lord's word. Plant your feet by the rivers of water, as described in Psalm 1, that you and I might draw upon the ocean of his word and and find refreshing in drought, find sustenance in famine, find light in darkness. Remember, it is the law of the Lord that is perfect, that revives the soul, Psalm 19.7, and that is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb, Psalm 19.10. If you have no desire to read God's word, then I challenge you to cry out to the Lord and ask him for that desire. I would encourage you to listen to that sermon. I know it's difficult uh, that I posted on the devotional wall by S.M. Lockridge, but he makes a comment about prayer. And he says this, prayer is one of those things where you need to pray to be able to pray, to to pray to be able to pray. The same thing works for reading his word, to pray and ask God to give you a desire for his word, to give you that desire and then just have a go. I was sharing with a brother recently, let's ask God to give you that desire, but then don't do nothing. Actually sit down and read your word and ask God to show you that. It's like when my marriage, I said, oh, I'd love to be more more patient with my wife and, and I love our relationship to deepen, but I can't sit there and do nothing. It means I, I, I want to be more patient. Then I, I take those steps for those things to actually grow and, and to actually flourish. To pray, as Psalm 119, 18, as I shared before, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Pray that and then see what God does. The next thing we can do to avoid these dangers is look beyond the person to see the Lord. Remember, Jesus is our focus. It is His Word. It is His truth. It is His power. It is His Spirit. It is His wisdom. He is the one that we are to have our eyes upon. Hebrews 12 says that. He is the one by whom we are redeemed and forgiven of our sin. Colossians 1.14. He is the one by whom we are made new. When we see Jesus clearly, then we have a better grasp on life because we're focused on Jesus who never fails and not man who does. In Jeremiah 17.5, cursed, different cursed. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. I like the second part. Who draws strength from mere flesh. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh. Why? Because flesh fails. We fail. Our efforts fail. I like the, I like the quote from C.S. Lewis. And the reason why I like it is because it puts things in perspective. He says, I believe in Christianity. I, I, I've coupled that. I believe in Christ as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I see Christ, the Son of God, not only because I see Him, but by Him and through Him and with Him, I can see all other things around me in life clearly. That's why. That's why we have to look beyond the person to see the Lord. How else can we avoid such dangers? Third, 
prioritize, prioritize knowing Jesus better. Knowing Jesus better, I've said this quote over and over and over again. Never be content with good when there's always better. Never be content with good when there's always better. I can always be a better husband. I can always be a better father. I can always be a better pastor. But the only way that better is reached is through me knowing better who Jesus Christ is. What Jesus Christ is doing, how Jesus Christ is working. I mean, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. Jeremiah 9.24, that he knows me, that I am the Lord. I remember hearing a preacher's round table, and there was a tongue-in-cheek comment made by one of the preachers, and the line was used, yes, yes, Jesus loves me, but I don't think he likes you. And it was just talking about how sometimes the way Christians can act, but the reality is so far removed from that satirical line. I am loved by the Lord who likes me with all my faults, who shapes me to be more like him, who invites me to himself for rest, for help, for grace in time of need, and for strength. He wants me to prioritize him and my relationship with him. Not so he receives anything, but because I receive from him. In me spending time with him, I'm the one that benefits. I receive the blessing of his spirit. I receive peace and hardship. I receive discipline and disobedience. I receive encouragement in my failure. I receive understanding in my disappointment. I receive forgiveness in my repentance. I receive support in my trials. I receive so much when he invites me to himself and I humble myself and go to him. But we can't expect God to be there if we don't want to be there. If we don't want to be with him. Because being with the Lord equips me to avoid these dangers of false teaching. Because he is the word. I can avoid the, the issues of false teachers because he is my rabbi. He is my teacher. And we can avoid our own self-righteousness, our own piety, our own self-centeredness because he is the law of the spirit of life that has set me free from the law of sin and death. It set me free from me. If forewarned is forearmed, then you and I today are armed in Christ. We are armed against the dangers of our need to do something, of our religious activity. We are armed against the capacity of being too easily influenced by people that look the part but may not necessarily teach the part. And we are armed against our own self-righteousness and our own self-need to please people. Because in Christ, we find all that we need and more. So... With that, brothers and sisters, I'm going to invite our sister Chris and our brother Simon back up. We're going to close in a song, which I think is appropriate for us to end, and then I'll close in prayer after that. May God continue to encourage our hearts as we worship together. Oh
pray. Father, we thank you that in the power of Christ we can stand before you accepted, forgiven, redeemed as your children. We ask now, Lord, as we look around us and see the dangers that can trip us up, see the dangers that can hinder us from the abundant life that you've promised us, I pray that you will open our eyes to see you above all else. That we as your people will be the pure, unblemished bride that you have called us to be. That we will live in holiness, that we will live in righteousness, that we will live in the power of your Spirit. Father, please take your word and plant it within the hearts of each person here and at home and glorify yourself. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Lord God's people said, Amen.